Welcome to Movie Heaven, Movie Hell with me, Simon Aiken, and Keith Isles, and Mike Tack, and Clive Ashenden. And we're a group of filmmakers, and we like to talk about uh, films and directors and stuff, but uh, uh, this episode is actually a, a rather special episode. Uh, a week ago, um, a great British actor died, uh, Christopher Lee. And we thought it would be great to, you know, celebrate his life um, by uh, recording this special podcast. So um, what we're going to do this time is uh, each one of us has picked a film for movie heaven, but we're not going to movie hell. Um, it'd just be too long. And, you know, in respect of for him and his family. So, yeah, Christopher Lee. Who, who wants to start first about Christopher Lee? Go on, Keith. Oh, right. Um, me, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, um, yeah, what a, what a great man. What a great uh, career indeed. Um, somebody who's done 278 acting credits to his name. So, uh, okay, he was 93 years old when he died last week, sadly. But, um, you know, that's not a bad innings and quite a number of roles to have done in that lifetime. So uh, what an incredible man indeed. Obviously a very varied career um you know there are highs and lows in his career i think but i think the, the thing about the man is consistency he was uh you know pretty much working right the way up until you, you know his sad death and, and uh you know had been doing films his entire life so uh yeah yeah really impressed and you know it's been it's been interesting for me to sort of go back and revisit some of his uh some of his films that we're going to talk about this evening. So, yeah, um, wonderful career. And I know, uh, I know, obviously, Mike and Clive are involved in today's podcast uh, as sort of aficionados of uh, horror films and, in particular, some of uh, Christopher Lee's work. Isn't yeah. that right, guys? Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. Well, um just to take over from you there, Keith. Keep your keep your keep your keep the time down a bit. Um, basically, <laughs> basically, yeah. Chris Lee's been uh, a major influence on my um, life. Um, it, it's probably one of the reasons that I got into horror films, the genre, and probably the reason why I'm even making films today, really, because um, he he, whatever film he was in, he always commanded uh, a presence. Um, and I actually was saying to Keith today, there's a certain film, which one of the ones we're going to discuss, it was a case of, well, who else could have played that part, you know? And we, we said we couldn't imagine anyone else that could have played this part. Um, and, um, yeah, he was very good at his craft. And he was teamed up with, you know, Mr. Cushing, another one of my favourite actors, because I'm a massive Hammer fan. I've been brought up on those films. And... Um, uh, I think it's great that we got together to discuss, you know, some of his, his highlights. So uh, hand over to Clive. Yeah, I mean, he's obviously an actor who's synonymous with Hammer Films together with Peter Cushing. But it's kind of because he has such a long career, you, you then went from that Hammer period through sort of an interesting mix of films in the 70s and into the 80s. Um, you know, think, uh, where he's doing things like uh, Escape to Witch Mountain and uh, Gremlins 2. And then, you know, then he sort of goes out from sort of uh, 
wider public consciousness for a bit and then has a, a massive like career late career renaissance with films like like the the last two uh, star wars prequels as uh, playing count dooku and in particular playing saruman in the lord of the rings uh, movies and then uh, and then uh, then the the hobbit movies he's one of those actors that's kind of it, it, you know, when you see him in, in a film, you kind of is a reassuring presence because he, he he's so consistent. You know, he's always he, he always brings a, a, a certain you know he's, he's got that amazing voice. He's got he, you know he's an actor of well of like impressive physical stature, which is why he he sort of gravitated towards those those villain roles. I think, and uh, yeah, I mean you can't be a horror fan and not be sort of and not be connected to sort of feel connected to crystal lee in some way i think mm. yeah he, he was one of the um the better elements of the uh, <laughs> the star wars prequels uh even though he was kind of winkly named count dooku which i thought was a bit silly but there you go <laughs> bit like count dracula indeed <laughs> yeah. i was just gonna add this uh you know being a star wars films they all come with silly names Nobody escapes getting a silly name. This is true. Yes, uh, Grand Moff Tarkin was Peter yes. Cushing, wasn't it? So yeah, I think that's really good that that we actually got Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing in the Star Wars saga as well. I think that's really cool. Oh, I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I remember the first time I saw Christopher Lee uh, in a film, and uh, funny enough, you guys just mentioned it, and that was Escape from Witch Mountain. That was the that was the first time I sort of really sort of noticed him and and recognised him, and um, enjoyed his uh, performance. And then after that, it was um, Gremlins two, when he was playing the mad scientist. And so, because I didn't really know him from the Hammer films, I knew he played Count Dracula and I knew he played Frankenstein in that, but I'd never really sort of seen him in those kind of films until sort of later on in life. But uh, he's. This is the thing. He's when he's on screen, it's just it's mesmerizing. And then when he leaves, you go, "Where's he gone? I want more of him. Come back." Mm, mm. Definitely. No, Definitely. Totally. Absolutely. Uh, I think that um, he he did have a lot of diverse roles after the the horror things, and I, I think that there was a lot of tribulations with the Dracula thing because he was getting less and less lines over the years, and. Uh, he wanted to, you know, he's got a great commanding voice. He wanted to speak and maybe, he, you know, it's like anything in life. You get a lot of success at something, but then you feel like you're getting pigeonholed. Uh, so I think it's amazing that he, um, you know, he, he then got this, this even re- right up to his 80s and his 90s, he had these amazing roles in, in these pivotal films. Mm. Obviously, Peter Jackson is... Uh, he was brought up on Hammer films and obviously for him to have Christopher Lee in one of his movies was probably a bit of a geek out moment for him as well, you know. Plus the fact that Christopher Lee was one of the, uh, well, he's the only people I, I can remember on the cast that actually knew Tolkien um, and knew the books inside out and he actually was, apparently he was correcting Peter Jackson all the time. So there's no action. No, <laughs> this is what happened. Well, yeah, I heard he read the book every year. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And yeah, he was an accomplished swordsman. Um, not, I'm not my choice, but uh, the three and the four musketeers. I don't know if you guys have seen those films with Oliver yes. Reed. 
Yes, Frank yeah. Finlay. They're brilliant movies, and he's great in that as the bad guy with a patch over his over his. Oh, I can't remember definitely. what he was called. What his oh, what, Richelieu. Richelieu, that's it. Do, was it Duke no, 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 uh, Richelieu's oh, no. the cardinal. Oh, um, yeah. that's Michael York, was it? No, no, he, he was the uh, guy. No, that's Dodtania. He was the, one of the musketeers, I'm, wasn't he? I, I want to say, I want to say, I want to say, Ross, Charlton Heston. That's it. Yeah, Rushfall. Yeah, I think it's Rush. Yeah, but, but he was uh, a he was a, a talented swordsman apparently, as well as he was a you know he had a great operatic voice and uh, and appeared in uh, actually I mean how many people can say that in their eighties that they appeared on a heavy metal album? <laughs> oh, I yeah. mean I'd like to say that, but uh, <laughs> you know so that's great. So um, he's had a he's had a massive impact um, on the the world of horror and film in general and. Uh, for me, it'd be greatly missed, you know, and I'm just glad that he managed to stay alive to do appear in those Hobbit films, you know, so they could sort of complete the uh, the circle on all of that. Yeah, I mean, it it it, it was weird when he did die last week because it, it just felt like you know because he it looked like he was going to live on for a long time. So, mm. but yeah, ninety ninety three is a long run. Long innings. He's a legend, basically. And there's no way about it. He was a complete legend in my book. So, yep. No, absolutely, absolutely. One of our English legends, indeed. Sadly, mm. sadly missed and sadly gone. But, uh, but a great body of work to go and revisit anyway. Um, mm. Which I guess brings us nicely into talking about the first uh, of of the picks for today, which is um, from you, Clive. Yeah. Um, yeah, before I do that, though, I'm just going to oh. briefly uh, mention that, I, that I, I, I was lucky enough to actually encounter Christopher Lee while he was, while he was alive. Um, and it, it's, this is a slightly embarrassing story, but I'll try and keep it short. Okay. Um, this was uh, uh, at the time I was working as an edit assistant on Have I Got News For You, which for any uh, non-British listeners is a, uh, a popular satirical news program. And in order to keep it as current as possible, because obviously it's based on the news, they they uh, film and edit it as close to broadcast date as possible. So that meant that occasionally we were running very close to the wire and we'd have to play out to BT Tower directly from the post-production facility, which meant sort of taking the tape into a separate building and playing it out. Um, so the time that we actually got closest to sort of not making our air date I literally had to take the tape from the editor and run through uh, through the facilities house and down the, down the stairs into the, the basement. Uh, so you know, I, I, all I'm thinking is I've got literally I've got I've got minutes to get there. You know, uh, and this is it's quite a long sort of winding corridor. I've to, I've to sort of go through all these sort of pass keys and things like that. So, so I'm, my heart's beating. I'm, I'm sort of running and running. And then halfway halfway down the stairs, out of the darkness, suddenly looms Christopher Lee, and I just I almost ran headlong into Christopher Lee, and and we just had this moment where I'm just sort of staring at him. He's staring back at me, like who's this guy who's nearly just sort of like knocked me down the stairs, and I was so shocked that I've just bumped randomly bumped into Christopher Lee that I just I and and I was such a fan. I just I just sort of gaped at him. And 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 it was like, and 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 then it was one of those things where the moment passes where 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 you could casually say say oh I'm a really big fan of films, 
And also, I, I was like, the time's ticking and I really need to get this tape down because otherwise it, this program won't go on air. So I just sort of like waved at him and then just ran away. Um, and and afterwards, oh. I'm like, oh, because you had to said all these things about oh, this film I loved. You know, and but it was just mm. it was so random because I know I didn't know he was in the building, but apparently he was, he was doing he was recording ADR for Lord of the Rings there afterwards. I subsequently found. But uh-huh. it's weird. I never, I, I, I never bumped into any other celebrities or actors or well-known personalities while I was in my time working at St. Anne's. But mm-hmm. just that one time, and it and, it's, and it was like just sod's law. It was the only time where I physically couldn't stop to talk to him. Um, uh-huh. So there you go. So that was that was my one encounter with Chris. So Ray. technically, <laughs> technically I, I i i stared at him and freaked him out slightly on the stairs um uh but uh thank thankfully you know it didn't uh obviously didn't shock him too much because he, he he luckily was, a, was around for a lot longer so mm. were you wearing a cape at the time <laughs> <laughs> uh no i i wasn't uh it, it, I, I was probably just i was probably drenched in sweat and and and, and uh and wearing some sort of indie band T-shirt. I just want to say, Clive, uh, you're not the only one to have scared a famous person. I, I scared Woody Allen once when he was coming out of the screening room. I was just there, I scared the shit out of him. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> just keeping it brief. <laughs> was was that intentional? No. Oh. No. He just looked very shocked to see another human being standing in front of him. Yeah. Oh well. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Well, we'll save that for the next Ave Allen then, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that, yeah. But I just want to say, um, Clive, uh, you remember when we were doing Habeas Corpus and we were coming up with uh, cast lists for our uh, short stories? I do, uh, yes. Yes, I actually wanted to cast Christopher Lee in a, a very small role. And I actually wrote to his agent and uh, I never did get a reply. I felt really annoyed at that. That, uh, you know, that uh, I didn't get, not even like, sorry, he's not available. You know, Peter Jackson's called again. Well, apparently he'd heard that you'd scared Woody Allen. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My reputation preceded me. Yeah, Yeah. and Clive had already scared him. So that was it. A pair of you were attached to the project. So that was the end of it, man. That's right, yeah. (laughs) We were on the the blacklist, yeah. Uh, all right, oh, right well let's <laughs> let's get back to the uh, program and uh, so um clive what is your pick for movie heaven my pick for movie heaven is dracula from 1958 aka the horror of dracula if you're in the states and uh you know really this is sort of this was christopher lee's big breakthrough film in terms of becoming a lead actor to becoming a name He'd uh, he'd already been in uh, the Curse of Frankenstein, the, the first of the Hammer Gothics, but he, in that film he's he's done a, he's done a heavy makeup, and uh, although you can still recognise him as, you know, it, it was the sort of makeup where you can sort of still see his features, but it's it's really this film which sort of just absolutely sort of cements him in the public mind, you know, and uh, you know as being that sort of definitive Dracula definitely for that de- that generation and I think for a lot of horror fans it's just the Dracula well yeah because I I hadn't seen 
this film until now. I'm I'm really oh sort of sad gosh. to say. I know I'm terrible. I'm, I'm, that's shocking. I know, but um, I, I have to say though, for me, he he has been Dracula for a long time, even though I haven't seen all the Dracula films. No, absolutely. I I I, uh, I have to say I I hadn't seen it in some time, so uh, I went and treated myself to the uh, the Blu-ray, which has um, the the uh, well, it's got both the 1997 BFI remastered version, but also the 2012 Hammer version, which has got the, uh, the 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 deleted scenes from the Japanese version of the film included. And uh, what a treat that was, I have to say. Amazing. Oh, I watched the Blu-ray as well, and it's yeah. a beautiful transfer. Absolutely. Right. I'm glad you're saying that, guys, because I've actually got mine arriving tomorrow because I've had that on <laughs> a number of box sets for a long time. But uh, I thought I'd treat myself. It was only nine quid from Amazon, so... And Keith says yeah, it's deleted right. now. Yes, yeah, mine, mine just arrived in the post today, so there we go. Oh, nice. Mm. Cool. So okay, Clive. His, his estate has got <laughs> a bit more money <laughs> from us yeah. guys. There you have it. Well, I mean, uh, uh, part of the reason that, that, he become, that he sort of is cemented his Dracula, um, I think, is because, well, it's because he goes on to play it so many times. I mean, just for Dra- just for Hammer, he, he, plays, he plays Dracula in six sequels um you know uh, the last of which in 1973 satanic rites of dracula but he's also you know outside of hammer he plays uh, he plays he plays dracula in uh, in, in sort of these sort of weird oddities in the jess franco count dracula which yeah. is a sort of a, attempt to be a bit more like the novel so Did- in that he's you know you get that idea of, of the of dracula being this elderly figure who is revivified with blood didn't he have a tash in that one he does yeah yeah and uh and and in and this sort of and like weird comic comic oddities where like things like the uh, 1970 film one more time where he's he's he sort of cameos as dracula in this sort of sammy davis jr peter lawford comedy and and things like the magic christian which has anyone seen the magic christian no what is the magic christian it's it's a it's a it's a cult Oddity from 1969, starring Peter Sellers and Ringo Starr. Oh, all right. <laughs> and it's really, it's really one of those hey man sort of. Uh, it could only have been made in the late 60s, sort of trippy oh, movies. Okay. Is it a bit like uh, Ringo Starr's Caveman? Uh, I, I, I confess, I haven't seen that, Simon. I haven't seen it either, but it's it's, it's supposed to be very 60s. Oh, uh, I mean. I think it's entertaining in this. In it, it's it's entertaining in that sort of trippy way, um, but uh, in it he plays a character called Ship's Vampire. Um, but basically, he's completely costumed as as the Hammer Dracula. So, for all intents and purposes, again he's playing Dracula. And then last lastly, in 1976, he plays uh, he plays Dracula Pear, aka the Prince of Darkness, in Dracula and Son. So. Oh, right. Hmm. You know, wow. it, it, it's it's interesting because he, he's had a, he had a sort of kind of I think love hate relationship with the fact that he that he was so strongly identified with the part. I'm, if I may, I'm just going to read a little bit from his autobiography, Lord of Misrule, where he okay. talks about where he talks about this, um, which uh, I've only dipped into, but it's quite he's got a very dry wit, and it's you know, and it and it's sort of it's very interesting so far. Um, he says. 
Beware of your fantasies, for you may become them, said the great clowning fantasist Kurt Vonnegut. There is no question but that when actors' fantasy collides with a certain fated role, there's a relocation of the atoms of his professional life, akin to a state of change in chemistry. The simple explanation of why I was chosen as the noble leech of Transylvania was that I'd done a competent job as the creature, but had I all along really been asking for it? I'd seen Karloff as the monster and Rathbone as Evremond, but in this case, I'd not seen the original Bela Lugosi's Dracula of 1930. I deliberately chose not to, to avoid being influenced. I didn't even know at the time that the legend was based on a real and horrendous historical personages, Vlad Tepish, known as the Impaler. I decided that my source would be Bram Stoker's novel, and I read it twice. It was about a vampire not at all like me in physical character but there were aspects of him with which I could ready, readily identify. His extraordinary stillness, punctuated by bouts of manic energy with feats of strength belying his appearance. Mm. His power complex, the quantity of being done for but undead, and by no means least the fact that he, ha he was an embarrassing member of a great and noble family. So mm. it's, it's interesting. He, he's, he's sort of, it's one of these things where at least initially, after after playing Dracula in, the, in this film, and I'm, I'm sure we will talk about the film eventually, <laughs> it, 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 you know, it, it's, he, he consciously resists it, you know, and and there's I think there's a pay dispute with Hammer, so it's not until it's not until a few years into the sixties that he comes back for the first sequel. I mean, Bryce Dracula, he's he's not in, you know, mm. which is the first direct sequel. David Peel so is in there as the vampire. Yeah, I was going to say interesting from that passage you read as well um, about his process because um, I think it's quite you, you know we we all sort of think of the Dracula that um, that that you know he portrayed and, and obviously later uh, people like Frank Langella and whatever portrayed as sort of following in the whole uh, Bella Lugosi uh, image that was set up there you know in the Universal films and it's quite interesting that. Uh, he, he purposely avoided that, uh, not to be influenced in any way. So, uh, yeah, quite interesting. Didn't know that. Yeah, well, when you watch the film, it's it's really apparent how how different he is to Lugosi. And he he doesn't go with that that kind of Hungarian, that Eastern European accent. You know, that sort of almost what what by that time become a, almost like a cozy figure of Dracula. That you know, I I am coming to suck your blood. You know, this whole this 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 whole thing. Yes. Ah, the creatures of the night. What yes. sweet music they make. Exactly, you know. Very uh it's not very theatrical, which the Bela Lugosi version is. Well they were yeah, also generated by Abbott and Costello and all the other universal piss takes that they did. So they sort of they sort of uh disintegrated any um uh, clarity that the cats yeah. had originally, didn't they? They really dumbed them down, which was unfortunate, you know. Yeah, yeah, and 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 at this time, you know, those those early Universal horrors are playing on are playing on television. You got movie, you got those, you got film magazines like you know the Forrest Jack Ackerman's ones, uh, mm. sort of you know putting them out on the cover. So kids are are, are you know like young kids are into it, and it's it's this. I think it's difficult for us now from, you know, a modern perspective to really sort of 
get a handle on just how much a shock it was to sort of see to see their sort of vivid blood on screen to see these you know both you know curse of frankenstein and and, and dracula that sort of one two punch of suddenly you know this 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 gore on screen and mm. uh, and and a, and a real and a real different take i mean christopher lee in the movie he's not at all like 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 the figure in the in the in the novel it sort of it takes the kind of sexual subtext out of the novel and really sort of puts it to the forefront even though it's you know as a film this is quite sort of subtle compared to the, the later sort of hammer films in terms of how it portrays sex and you know how much kind of cleavage and nudity you're getting in the film you know he just he just makes this incredible entrance in the film and uh you know and and you and in his early sort of scenes with harker you get his he just plays it as as a very kind of dignified controlled yet powerful kind of aristocrat and it and it's and it and it leaves a big impression it does i mean that the fact that his screen time is very little in the film i was i was expecting to see him in it a lot more if anything this was sort of uh more peter cushing's film than it was christopher lee so it just shows you what an impression he made on everybody that the, his such little screen time was you know able to sort of produce such a career from there you know it was the springboard to what we know his career to be now if you play dracula you everyone knows who's played dracula in different roles gary oldman frank langella bella lugosi um it's it is a pretty key role and even if he isn't on the screen you know all the time it's it, it he is the one he's the person that you're looking to see in every scene yeah, he's the titular character. He's the one on all the posters with the, uh, you know, with the, uh, with the sort of uh, virgin draped over his arm. You know, mm. it's the, it, that's the it's, that's the key image. You know, and that's mm. and that's what stuck with people. Yeah, I just have a question. Uh, why did they change the character of Jonathan Harker to a librarian? I know that he's in it very little because in the book and the and the films he's usually the main character well well in in the in the book it's sort of it's sort of split isn't it because he starts off with just his uh just his diary and then he mm. sort of and then he disappears for a large swathe of novel and then comes back into it but I, I think it's to do with with the sort of decisions that jimmy sankster made in his uh adaptation which were large which were largely due, due to cost i mean they just did not have the budget for things like uh, you know, a massive shipwreck. So, yeah. so therefore, this none of the film takes place in England. Uh, so, instead, you know, instead, you know, it's not even set in Transylvania. It's set in this That's kind right. of weird middle Europe uh, setting that sort of a lot of the Harrow Gothics were. So, you know, the castle is this, is is near Klausenberg, and actually, it's it's Karlstad that he that he ends up sort of. Uh, you know, taking his coffin to in order to, uh, well, it's it's a kind of it's more it's a much more slim down revenge plot. So mm. you know, we we lose the figure of Renfield, you know, yes. and, and and the the rules are slightly different than they are in the book. There's no shape shifting. Mm. Absolutely, doesn't no doesn't he turn into a bat? I mean, we don't see it, but it's implied. He, he well. Uh, there's there's a there's a speech from Van Helsing where he says that that's impossible. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah. they sort of they sort of uh, they sort of say that that's just a sort of mythical thing and, and isn't the reality when he's sort of talking about talking to the Michael Goff character about um, uh, y- y- you know um, strengths and weaknesses and all that sort of thing. But I think I think this is the thing that that you know Hammer were really good at is is they did absolutely slim down this, you know, Bram Stoker's story to sort of get to the crux and get to the action. And, mm. y- you know, we, we start with Jonathan Harker going there, you know, to be his librarian uh, for the for the purpose of actually, uh, you know, killing him and stuff like that, which is, uh, which is really cutting to the chase quite a bit. So, um, and done very well, very nicely paced. I noticed that they trimmed down the the free brides down to one. <laughs> yes, that's right. Though I did like when um, she gets killed, she ages. Mm. So you see her as like an old woman. I thought that was really clever. I thought that was really well done. Mm. Yes, Val- Valerie Gaunt as Vampire Woman. She's, she's <laughs> credited. So. Yes, she was apparently in the film before the um, the. Uh, was it the Frankenstein one or whatever, but then didn't appear in anything after that, which is quite odd. <laughs> but uh, she probably wasn't fit enough for them. They always they always got fit women in their films. Hammer. That's one of the reasons why I like them. <laughs> one one other point I was going to make was that they did actually add. I mean, Hammer was very good at messing around with how you can kill a vampire, depending on what set pieces they wanted to put in. You know. Yeah. Um, and they also, in the Scars of Dracula, they had a brilliant scene where you actually see Count Dracula climbing up the outside of the castle walls like some sort of creature. Which, oh, okay. which, is, which is directly out of the original novel, isn't it? Correct. So they, right. they, they, they were, they were, that's their whole philosophy is that they would actually trim things down, make, make, make a really good you know, film out of what they had and, you know... Uh, and I think they were successful, you know, because to be fair, most people haven't even read the book. Have everybody here read the book? Because I've read the book. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Keith, have you read the book? Yeah, a long time back, but yes. Mm. <laughs> okay, I have a, a question. Which uh, other f- uh, Dracula film do you think gets close to the book? Well, the um, uh, I would say the, the Francis Ford Coppola one, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think none of the films get close to the book. I think, no, I, I agree with you, Clive. I think that the only adaptation I've seen which which is faithful to the book is the uh, nineteen I think it's nineteen seventies BBC adaptation with Louis Jordan. Louis, J- yeah, that was really good. Oh actually. yeah, that's like which, three hours long, isn't it? Yeah, so, yeah which is yeah. Uh, you know which which has basically you know all, all the scenes you know it's got some dialogue is, is almost as per the novel. I mean, and that's that's very well done. I mean, obviously it's a lot longer, so they they've got more to play with. Yeah. Well, the thing I always find missing from the the films that was in the book was that central relationship between Jonathan Harper, Van Helsing, um, his wife, and a few other the other characters. Because in the in the book, it, it, by the end, you're so um, you know in in tr- interested in what these guys are doing, and you see them as a great group of friends, and you never really get that in in the films. Not even the Francis Ford Coppola one. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's 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 difficult because in the book, I think you've got there's this there's this uh, after that sort of initial, ca- uh, you know, Castle Dracula set set piece with with uh, Jonathan Harker. You've got this, you've got this almost 
sort of chamber piece of who's who's Lucy going to uh, going to end up getting engaged to, and you get all these get these three prospective suitors, and it yes. all, and it almost turns into a sort of Jane Austen novel, um, and then she finally sort of settles on one. And then, and then she gets vampirized. Spoilers. <laughs> I'll teach you, wouldn't it, for messing the blokes around, wouldn't it? So, uh, <laughs> and, and and you know, and then and, and then Mina, who is uh, Jonathan Harker's fiance, then she is also threatened, and and then this sort of then it becomes this whole, you know, uh, uh, sort of that the, the, all these guys that have sort of got together around this sort of family end up. Teaming up with Van Helsing to go and hunt down Dracula. I mean, the Langella one I thought was very good. I actually thought they did a good job on that. They did. They did quite a lot of the book in that. But um, and that I actually acquired that on Blu-ray recently as well. It's got some great death scenes in it as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a good one. I haven't seen this BBC uh, adaptation, so uh, I saw it when it came out. (laughs) Yeah, well. Yeah, I was going to say, we're not all as old as you, Mike. <laughs> yeah, no. I, 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 I made sure I stayed up and watched every episode of that. And Louis Jordan was a very good Dracula. He was, right. yeah. And they I actually think... they had a good bit of claret in that as well. Real really? kudos to the BBC, yeah. Yeah, okay. good staking. Yeah, mm. I think the BFI played it um, about a year ago. And sadly, uh, it was only one showing of it. So I because it was in a, they did like a sort of afternoon marathon of the whole mm. thing. And, uh, I wasn't able to make it, but um, uh, I would like to check that out at some point. If it's truer to the novel, that would be good. Anyway, Clive, so what's what's um, what are the things that really stuck stuck out for you also in the new in the Hammer sorry, in the Hammer Dracula? I think uh, Terence Fisher's direction is absolutely fantastic in this. He, he's, he's class, isn't he? Yeah, he's, he's just brilliant. I mean, he's very good at, at kind of moving things on, but I think sort of he's really really. The bit I love most about this film is is the action field climax, which is which is you know maybe the best sort of climax to to a Hammer movie in terms mm. of how it's staged, you know, and you get this you you've been, the whole film has been building up to this sort of final battle between Van Helsing versus Dracula, and mm. you know I mean. There was I'm a good very... twist in it as well, wasn't there? Where the coffin actually was in the same house they're in in the basement. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's all these nice little touches, and it's all building up to this sort of final set piece, and and you get Peter Cushing action hero, uh, which is sort of you know especially if if you sort of kind of almost mentally uh, thinking of him in his later years, he's just and and it and it's a very it's a very vigorous movie, and also the fact because Christopher Lee in a lot of his, in a lot in a lot of the film he's been sort of very sort of still and but uh, but then we, we see these sort of bursts of action and again we get it at the end here and, and get these fantastic effects work uh, from phil uh, from phil leakey doing the uh, makeup effects and sydney pearson and les bowie doing the sort les of special bowie, effects yeah. Yeah. and that whole yeah that that whole final uh, sort of disintegration uh, sequence is it's just beautifully done, and the choreography of it, the way he just grabs the candlesticks and makes them into a cross, the the, the running and then sort of pulling down of, of the drapes, it's just it, it's just so it's just so uh, fantastic, you know. I just I get chills now, just thinking about. It. Did you guys know that Chris Lee always wore the ring that Bella Lugosi wore in the original Dracula that he did? Bella Lugosi gave him the ring, and he wears oh, wow. it. 
And he also wears it in, in, in Keith's film. Because I watched it last night, his Cleese selection. He wears it in that. Oh, okay. But we'll get round to that. But yeah, oh, that's right. a good okay. bit of trivia. It's actually, no, the ring, he always wore it. The ring that he wears is the ring that Bella Lugosi wore in his Dracula films. That's Chris pretty good. So, so that's the ring that's left at the end when he disintegrates yeah. and uh, they have mm -hmm. that sort of thing that I think inspired um, Mike Hodges at the end of Flash Gordon in the 80s. They had a sort of a similar <laughs> ending. Yes. Where he's all disintegrated and they, they get the ring. <laughs> so, I, I, I mean, they, they, they don't go the end, or is it? Question. No, mark, that's true. You know, exactly. so. <laughs> well, watching it, I noticed that uh, Fright Night had a lot of references to it as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Which I thought was, was great. I mean, I, the, especially the bit where they put the crucifix on um, Mina's head and it, it leaves the mark. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the gold, the gold crucifix. Yeah, uh, sorry, the silver crucifix. Yeah, and no, that's that's cool. Yeah. I mean, one one of the things that struck me with it very much, um, you know, watching it this past week and revisiting it was the fact that, um, you know, as as Mike is often saying about, you know, Hammer after they 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 sort of re renowned for doing everything to a fairly tight budget and whatever. But my God, every, every penny is on screen. I mean, if you look at the design of that film, the set design, the makeup, the lighting, all of that is for when it was made is absolutely yeah. top rate. Yeah. I think you know. But <laughs> Bernard, Rob, Bernard Robinson, you know, doing double duty as production designer and art designer, absolutely fantastic work in this. Mm. And they reused, uh, I know that they reused a certain, they had a set of stairs, like a staircase, and it was reused in numerous Hammer films. Plague of the Zombies had it. That's uh, right. So one time it will go yeah. down to a cellar, another time the steps will go down to a graveyard. You know. Yeah, there's a featurette on that, actually, on the uh, on Blu-ray. It oh, is with, it? It's absolutely packed with extras, which is great. And, of course, me being the shadow I am, I watch them all. And uh, there is actually a featurette where they talk about exactly that. But, I mean, it's done in such a clever way that it's not blatantly obvious that it's the mm. same set redressed. So it look, they it were, really were economical. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Keith, can I ask you... Um, is there a feature about the uh, the restoration? There is. Is there a guy dressed up as Dracula in it? Uh, no. Oh, that's a shame. Um, a friend of Rob's actually did the rest um, the grade on it. Right. And uh, he, I remember sort of meeting up with him for lunch once, Rob and his friend, and uh, he was saying how he did this interview for the Dracula uh, Blu-ray and he actually dressed up as Dracula. Yeah, they, they had sort of selected interviews, but sadly that chap, uh, despite the effort, sadly wasn't selected. <laughs> he, pr he probably looked oh. a bit of a dick. That's probably why they didn't put it in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Sorry, Rob's friend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Clive, is there anything else you want to say about Dracula? Um, I just think that if you, if your only image of Christopher Lee as Dracula, it, it comes from maybe some of the sequels, which are of variable quality. I mean, I kind of enjoy them all, but uh, in the sequels, it often he turns into a sort of mute hissing presence, which I think was uh, some of which was to do with Christopher Lee not liking the lines he was given, apparently, oh, right. apparently and therefore just sort of refusing to say them. Um, but uh, but uh, but some of it was also they thought it was scarier when he didn't speak, so so they they cut his lines right down. But I think that 
the, the first the first film, even though the amount of screen time he's on, it is not as much as maybe in some of the other ones. It, it's really where you know I, I think where 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 he's sort of he's strongest as Dracula. You know, much so I, I love a lot of the other movies. If you haven't seen it, really, uh, it, it's it's a must see. Yeah. I mean, he, he probably didn't need to say a lot anyway, because as I say, striking appearance, especially he's a tall actor, which he's always been told, you're too, too tall to be an actor. Um, he's, he's just his presence wearing the cape and everything, just probably, you know, if you're directing, you think, mm, Chris, you don't need to say much, mate. You look pretty scary. Go for it. So, uh, Mike. Yeah. Uh, what is your pick for Movie Heaven? Well, this was a... This is a difficult one for me because uh, there's a couple of films that are my favourite Hammer films that aren't in the usual run of the mill Hammer film, you know, Dracula, Frankenstein, whatever. Um, one of my favourites is The Hand of the Baskervilles that they just released on Blu-ray with Pete Cushing and Chris Lee. But Chris Lee, uh, he plays the Henry Baskerville, I think, the, the heir he does, to the Baskerville yeah. throne, if you like. And uh, But he, it's more of a supporting role you know main role but Cushing it's really Cushing's film um so really I've gone for The Devil Rides Out which is a 1968 adaptation from a Dennis Wheatley devil worshipping novel um now this for me is one of my all-time favorite Hammer films and I know Keith hasn't seen it or didn't see it at the time and I and because I chose it I'm actually really pleased that I chose it because it means he's had to watch it yeah, no, um, I, I'm, I'm really pleased you chose it, Mike, because I have to say um, this was, uh, you know, it's one of those films that for whatever reason, you know, it happens sometimes. I watch a lot of movies, but sometimes there are classics that pass me by. And this was yeah. one of them. And I enjoyed it <laughs> immensely. I thought it was absolutely, I'm going to get the Blu-ray when I can for this. Um, mm. you, you know, uh obviously adapted from that novel by uh, Richard Matheson. Um, well, Richard Matheson was a screenwriter they brought That's in right. because they all they had um, a lot of issues. So, you know, they all saying, oh, this is too English. Apparently, Christopher Lee, actually, when he moves, uh, whenever it was, he, he, I mean, he's always been interested in the occult and black magic anyway. It's one of his sort of interests, uh, which is probably a little, he's probably got like a little uh, ritual you know, hidden room somewhere <laughs> in his house, but uh, he actually uh, was a friend, befriended and got friendly with Dennis Wheatley, and um, he um, was pushing to get this actually, um, you know, on Hammer's radar. And they were a bit worried because at the time you've got Furman, uh, was it Furman, the the guy who was in charge of? Um, I think I might have got that wrong actually. Trevelyan. No, was it, the guy. It, was, it was it was before Furman. I think. It was Trevelyan uh, that was you know going to be the guy that was going to um, you know cut them to pieces you know because obviously they're back then you know people were more Christian and obviously things about devil worshipping and. You know, chopping up chickens whilst being naked and all that sort of things were not generally accepted, you know, by the censor. So, but he did push them, and obviously, part of this, it managed to get himself apart. Was uh, the main guy called Durishlo, and he's um, like a master of the occult. And the thing I like about this is that he actually plays a good guy. Um, yeah. for once and he, he's got such a commanding performance that, that, that no matter what bizarre shit is going on on the screen um, you actually um, 
buy into it a hundred percent because he he's you know like Peter Cushing, they 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 take it seriously and they then make you take the film seriously. You know if if they're not taking it seriously, then you're not going to buy into it. Oh, exactly. They, he sells it so well. Yeah, yeah. Even that bit when the demon is arises and it's a big black guy in an orange nappy. Yeah. And I had to say, I chuckled a little bit because it's like, don't look at him. Don't look at him. And I'm like, don't look at the black man. Ah. Well, <laughs> yeah. I don't think it was intended to be racist, Simon. It wasn't intended that way, but it was just just watching it with a modern sensibility. It was a bit. I can imagine at the time, you know, if they were after a, a demon character that they would go for like a, a black actor yeah but it was just it for me right just because this is the first time i watched it as well mm. it just it just took me out a little bit because it made me laugh thinking you know that the, out of everybody they could have picked to play a demon they picked a black guy in an orange nappy yeah well, you're twisted simon um, <laughs> so, one of the, one of the things that, um, that that struck me as well with, the, or one of the things I think is a shame with this actually, is the fact that um, sadly they didn't adapt any more of um, uh, Wheatley's novels using this character. Because I'd have loved to have seen. Now I've watched this, see Christopher Lee, or have seen Christopher Lee uh, reprise this role and go on other adventures because. The thing about this one is, you, you know, you were saying about his stature and his height and all this sort of thing, which is great. And he looked fantastic in a three-piece suit in this. But the the other thing is, is of course, is his voice, his commanding voice. And the fact mm. that he gets some dialogue in this film um, was part of the treat of it. Because you're absolutely right. He took something that could have easily been mocked and laughed at, but took it 100% seriously and sold it completely, you know, in his performance. And, uh, you know, I just think, shit, this would have been a really cool franchise character for him to have played and, and mm. you know, done a number, because I believe they did 11 novels or something with this character. So it's a shame, I think, that um, they didn't do more of these. Yeah, well, they did go on to make To the Devil a Daughter, which also has Christopher Lee in it, but obviously he's playing the villain in that in that role. And unfortunately that was a massive flop for hammer at the time. Cause when, by the time that gets released, then, you know, the exorcist, it, the exorcist comes out and in comparison, it's, it's just not, not no. doing it. It looks quaint old fashioned. And, uh, you know, it was a troubled production anyway. And unfortunately they could never really visualize what, what was in the novel for the the climax so you just you get something which doesn't quite sort of come to a, a boil you know mm. well chris lee in his in his later years actually was pushing to do a remake because he said with the modern technology the effects and all the rest that we could do now because what he said at the time was that he was too young for the role because in the books the guys is meant to be a bit wizened and a bit older uh, hence his knowledge of the occult, you know, that he's gathered over the years. And he said he's at the right age now where he could do the part even more justice and have um, some, you know, pretty good effects because the actual book took them to lots of different locations. Again, we've got this situation where Hammer have trimmed it down, kept it in, in a very close sort of locale of each other in the same country, in fact, because the actual book takes them to different, like Paris, and I believe, I don't know, it's Morocco, but there's some somewhere exotic. So um, they, they trimmed it down. Um, 
But Wheatley was actually very, very pleased with the final result of the film. Um, and he said to you know Matheson, he said, yeah, I'm really pleased what you did with the screenplay. And Matheson said, well, I'm a novelist too. And he says, I, I, I will never ruin some other novelist's you know, film with a, with a crappy screenplay. So he retained all the elements and did a sterling job, I think, uh, on the screenplay. Um, because there's so many classic lines. You've got uh, the other people. You've got Richard Moe, not Richard Moe, is it Patrick Moe, young Patrick Moe, as the young guy who um, is going to be inducted into the the occult. And there's this... Oh, you mean Simon. Simon, that's it. And um, obviously Charles Gray. Charles Gray as MacArthur, the the head of the cult, uh, is... Amazing. He was in the little. Uh, was it the um, Rocky Horror Picture Show as the narrator and 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 also a Bond villain. Yes, correct. Well, he was in two Bond Blofeld. films. Yeah, he played yeah. the third Blofeld, but he also played um, a character in uh, uh, You Only Live Twice as well. So, yeah, yeah. So uh, one interesting fact I discovered only today was that they dubbed the voice of uh, the other his sidekick. Um, now, That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, they dubbed. Oh, who was it? I remember reading this as well. Well, the character was Rex Van Ryn. Uh, his name something Green. Uh, Leon, Leon Green. Green. Yes. Yeah, Rex. And and he was dubbed by the guy that did the voiceover for the housing adverts for. He flew around in a helicopter. What was his name? Oh, bloody hell! Yeah, I remember that. Do you uh, remember Patrick him? Allen. Patrick Allen, that's it. So yeah. Patrick Allen, they, and I didn't even realise they dubbed his voice. I just thought, oh, he's got a good voice. It suited him. He always wore these tight sort of um, three-piece suits. Suits, <laughs> suits. Yeah, he, he always he was quite a fit, sort of fit-looking guy for doing all the heavy beating up of people. But um, but going back to the film, the thing that um, I like about it is the way there's this sort of discovery where you're getting clues. You see the 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 black hen and the what is it the white hen and the black hen it was uh, yes. in the, in the cupboard and and the things on the floor and and it slowly unravels that all this all of the the, the this occult shit that's going on um, and the bit where they have the uh, the uh, orgiastic reveling in in the woods which is Black Park which is near Pinewood Studios they use Black Park a lot. Um, and uh, that you know, Rex and and the Duke are in in the bushes and they're looking on, and then the devil appears. He goes, "Oh, it's the the goat of Mendes, the devil himself." And this really cool fella appears, looking with a little <laughs> smirk on his face. Mm. Um, that's brilliant. I mean, obviously for the time they couldn't show like tits and and people screwing and you know doing all the rest of it, so they just had to prance around like they were a little bit possessed, you know. But it's still okay. What year did The Devils come out? Oh, oh, Russell's, Ken Russell's film. Yeah. I think it could have been something like 1970, a couple of years later. Oh, I okay. think. So, but this yeah, is the it's, thing, it's definitely, se- definitely 70s, yeah. Between, oh, right. you know, between the 60s and the 70s, there was a, a massive uh, change because they actually changed the, uh, they did create the X certificate. Um, now, I think, that was done in the 50s because cinema trends were going so that they actually put the X certificate because they thought it was X in sex, you know? 
Yeah. Um, and well, you, you had you had the Quatermass experiment, didn't you? For Correct. Hammer, where yeah. they actually spelled it with with an X, so yeah. chopping off the first E just to uh, help sell, sell it. You know. Ken so, Russell's Devils was seventy one, by the way. Oh, so, seen it. oh, oh okay. you're out. That's not bad. Yeah, um, that's not bad. <laughs> so, but the thing about this is that um, the visit where MacArthur turns up at the house. And he tries, he actually, you know, hypnotizes the woman and uh, he, they get interrupted. And uh, he, he, he says, uh, he says, uh, yeah, I won't be back, but something will. That's such a classic line um, yeah. that fills everyone with, with, you know, with this dread of what's going on. And then they're standing around in the circle back to back and they're putting, they, they you know, you mustn't break the circle. And, and MacArthur sends all these different, types of tricks and assaults to to wear them down and to make them break the circle is awesome i thought the angel of death effect was great yeah when it appears out the doorway i was like bloody Some hell people yeah. actually criticize that they've actually re in the recent blu-ray version they've actually tinkered with it not too much like george lucas but they apparently when <laughs> when the horse yeah. is up in the air it's all black in the background that someone cocked up on the matting and they didn't put the room in um, and they fixed that, and they've 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 tied they put a shadow under the giant spider, and they've tied it up. I've not seen it yet. I do want to see it. Um, yeah. Um, well, that was the one thing I did notice, especially all the driving stuff. Um, I don't know. Speed it I up. think it must have been. No, 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 no. It wasn't speeded up. But the fact that you could see like a green outline on the characters, it wasn't. If it was a rear projection, it wasn't done very well. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, this this is a period in history. It's only a it's only a minor. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't knock me out of the film, but I didn't. This, this, this was this was um, Terence Fisher again, wasn't it? Yeah, he directed this. Absolutely, and, uh, it apparently, was. Yeah. Apparently, this was. Um, I don't know what his favorite film was of all, all, but according to this, this was Sir Christopher Lee's favorite film of the Hammer films. His it was favorite one. Yeah. So, uh, well, he was as I said, he was pushing for it. So it, it probably even came a lot from him. And the fact he knew Wheatley and, and being such an avid reader, he obviously looked looked at the part and thought, that's a that's a decent part, you know, I could do that do that well, you know. It fit him like a glove. And yeah. finally it finally gets to play the good guy for once, you know. Yeah, and mm. what a good good guy he plays. He's he's just so commanding and um he he, he you know, up again I mean Charles Gray has a good attempt at stealing the show but chris lee is is just in charge of that film from start to finish as far as i'm concerned oh definitely yeah i must admit i'm i'm very glad to have seen it because i thought it was uh uh you know an incredibly great movie really i um i've thoroughly enjoyed it as i said i want to invest in in the blu-ray myself now and uh uh, interestingly enough, apparently in the US it was called the Devil's Bride, though because yeah. they, they, the devil rides out. They thought it sounded too much like a western. Western, yeah. <laughs> um, is... Well, the thing is, Fisher at this point in '68, you think '58, '57 was Curse of Frankenstein, Dracula. He'd been making his films for ten years. The only other films he made for Hammer 
were the excellent Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed, which which will be getting a Blu-ray release from Warner Brothers, I heard. Oh, fantastic. I, lo- I love Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed. And that's actually quite a nasty film. That's a nihilistic film because, I mean, Baron Frankenstein, he rapes um, the woman in that. Oh, Peter Cushing does a bit of rape Well, it, de- it depends which version of it you watch, doesn't it? Yeah, in, in the, Brit- the uncut version. In the, <laughs> British, in the British version, yeah, they, that wasn't in the film. No, that's right. Um, and then he'd made Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell, which is, uh, I, I was looking on Amazon today, and that's a Terence Fisher's, his last film for Hammer. And uh, that one, again, Peter Cushing, albeit wearing a curly wig, because at that point he, he probably looked a bit grey. Um, uh, they released that uncut with a lot more claret. I remember seeing a monster mag, because, you know, like, I, I mean, I got into Hammer through bubblegum cards and watching them on BBC Two at night on the double horror double bills. And then I collected House of Hammer magazine. I've got every single issue in my loft at the moment. Oh, wow. And I, and I lap those. Uh, I'll have to show them to you, Keith, when you come up. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Because they always had a comic strip adaptation of a film. Uh, and there was one, one when I was a stupid kid, I... Um, I sent off money in an envelope to buy a back issue of issue number six, which had a uh, Dracula, uh, Prince of Darkness uh, comic strip, and it had a Chris Lee on the cover, and I was like, wow. And and you know what happened? Guess what? The postie or someone must have swagged the money because I never got that bloody back issue. Um, but then Last about six years ago, I, for some reason I was on eBay and I thought, you know what? And I, and I discovered, I typed in house of hammer. Cause I, I, I you know, I've, I've got some original hammer posters all up my, my stairway, haven't I? Yeah, you have. Um, yeah. And, um, I, um, I tracked one down and it, it cost me 18 quid and I put in a massive amount of money. I just thought, fuck it. I'm just going to get that magazine to complete my set. It was the only one I didn't have and I've got it. And uh, that was such a good, I got such a buzz from getting that, knowing that I've got, you know, the one with Chris Lee on the cover and it's the adaptation comic strip of, you know, Prince of Darkness. And, uh, you know, anyway, going back to that, I got Monster Mag as well. And um, in that had a scene where it showed Peter Cushing with like a bloody vein in his teeth. And I thought, what the hell? And it's like a scene that when I saw Frankenstein Monster from Hell subsequently, it was not in there. And apparently it's one of the restored scenes where he, he's trying to do the operation and, and he hasn't got enough hands. So he, he, he holds a vein in his teeth. Oh, man. How, <laughs> how bizarre is that? And they, re- <laughs> they reinstated that into the, into the version you get on Blu-ray. So it's un- fully uncut. And it's got that fit woman, Madeline Smith, in it, which is, which is good in my book. And talking of Madeline Smith and books, I actually at Fright Fest uh, got the question right, as I normally do when there's a Hammer question. I got a signed Glam Hammer Glamour book, and she's actually signed it. Wow. Oh, nice. Which oh, I know cool. that Clive is very gen- uh, jealous about. So I, I am. Right, yes. I think I think we'll all be jealous about that one. You know, Rightly so. Blooded males here. <laughs> yeah, because she had a, well, still had, probably still has a fantastic pair of tits. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> Let's call a spade a spade, guys. Oh, Come on, right. be honest. You, you say what I only think. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So to round up this, it had some r- impressive effects. Even a spider, you know, a giant spider sounds quite shit. But actually, it was really creepy. 
And um, the angel of death, when he appears and he pulls his little mask off and he's a big skull there and you, and you think, oh, my God, you know, it's quite intense, that scene. No, um, yeah, I, I it thought it was really well done. All of and that. then we Again. get some Back to the Future style thing where time has changed and MacArthur gets destroyed. Um, and you've got that amazing mu- music by James Bernard, you know. Did you know, this is a, another little trivia, James Bernard did Dracula, the soundtrack to Dracula. Uh, if yeah, you listen did, to yeah. the If you listen to the music, you can actually hear the word Dracula. <laughs> That's how he, how he used to do his soundtracks. He would actually use the words of the, of the films in, in helping him decide how to do the score. Yeah, well, John, cool John Williams used the same kind of um, ideas as well. Like, for example, you you know, the Superman, you you actually, if you really listen, you can hear the word Superman. Yeah. It's amazing, you know. Well, it goes, Superman. There you go, absolutely. <laughs> there you go. Well, not in the version I saw, Simon, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think you live in an alternate universe to me. You've been watching the wrong version then. Uh, but yeah, so Bernard did that, and uh, he did. It does a really great cracking score. I mean, sometimes Bernard's uh, soundtracks are re- if you if you play them out of a Dolby sound system, and they're fucking intense. You have to turn them down because the neighbours, you know, it's like <laughs> you know, like holy Christ, you know, it's really intense. Um, so all I, so that's it, Chris Lee. You were absolutely stunning in that film, uh, and I'd like to now hand over to our third pick. Yes, which is uh, my pick. So my pick for movie heaven is The Wicker Man. Oh, God. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, that's why I was going to do that. It's <laughs> <laughs> a very good impression. I have to say that. It was. Very good impression. Who the hell was that? Was that Clive? <laughs> I was going to say, it was yes. so good. I don't know yes. who it was. <laughs> <laughs> you've got hidden talents. I thought Edward was in the room with us. What, what, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. Where, I don't know. Where, where I thought it was Arnie Schwarzenegger at one point. Christ! <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, uh, oh Jesus! Christ. No. <laughs> but please, Simon, save us from this. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. Uh, well. Um, I saw The Wicker Man um, on Channel 4 when uh, they were doing their um, their censored season. I watched that as well because you're a perv like me. <laughs> <laughs> so you had that wonderful introduction by uh, Mark Commode to the film. And um, they they showed the director's cut, uh, which so that's the first version I saw. And then uh, the next time I saw it was on the big screen with yourself, Clive, at Fright Fest, where we were had the double bill of The Wicker Man and Don't Look Now. Yes. Which is how it was originally released back in the 70s. Yeah, can you imagine going to see that at the cinema? Wow. I know. Well, the thing was everybody went to see Don't Look Now and they got this amazing film as well, which I think, and personally, I think is better than Don't Look Now. I disagree. <laughs> I prefer it over it. I mean, um, I know considering the circumstances that I watched it under that I'd been up since three o'clock in the morning and it was three o'clock in the afternoon when it came on, I was struggling. Yeah, it's it's a slow-paced film and, uh, and you know, 
I, I was I was elbowing you trying to keep you awake, but it wasn't working. <laughs> Are we still talking about the screening? <laughs> <laughs> or was it last night? <laughs> no denials. <laughs> we we watched the theatrical cut at uh, Fright Fest. I learned because uh, I was able to watch the final cut and sort of compare the three. And personally, I think um, the theatrical cut is the best out of the three of them because it moves along a lot better than it does in the other cuts. Well, the other cuts have that really minky music going on. And I know there's a lot of people that like folk music out there, but I think it's shite. It bored the crap out of me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well, um, especially in the final cut, they are focused too much on the pub at the beginning. Yeah. So you get like a, an extra number, but you are introduced to Lord Summer Isle, more Christopher Lee's character earlier, which uh, is nice to see. But in a in a story point of view, sort of takes away that bit of the power of you know because at that point he's only spoken about and just leading up to when Edward Woodward first meets him at his house. So um, um sorry sorry to interrupt. Simon, can I just ask one question? Because I've watched the theatrical cut and the director's cut. I've yeah. not seen the final cut. Is, is there much difference? Uh, it's got more music. Well, the, the, you know, at the beginning of the director's cut, um, you see another copper. That's right. Well, that's not in the final cut. That's taken out. It just it starts straight off from the church where you see Edward Woodward in church. Oh, so the copper that's taken the mickey out of him, you know, being a virgin and all this sort of stuff, all that's cut out, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's a, it's just information given too soon. I, right. I agree. I think the fact that he, he is like that is you don't, you don't need it spelt out for you, no. do you? I like the way the theatrical cut starts with yeah. him in the plane going to the island. I agree. I think that the theatrical yeah. cut, for me, I've seen the other cut. As I said, the, the music got on my tits. Um, I, li I like the extra nudity. I think there was a little bit of extra nudity. Um, <laughs> and my favourite line from the film was where, where he, he, Edward Woodward sees some kids jumping over fire and they're naked. And he yes. goes, you know, what are you doing? He says, oh, it's far too dangerous for them to do it with their clothes on. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a classic. <laughs> oh, that is a brilliant exchange. Oh, that's got to yes. be an answer to many things in life now, right? It was just too dangerous to do it with your clothes on. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Love it. That's your chat up line, isn't it, Keith? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, for those who don't know what the story is, it's... Uh, about Edward Woodward's character, Sergeant Howie, who he gets a report that a, a girl's gone missing from the island and he goes looking for her. And the uh, occupants of the island are very not are very not forthcoming and are very slightly hostile towards you, him. It's like, it's like Cornwall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's just towards you, Mike. <laughs> Uh, I have to say, Cornwall's changed a lot. We'll have a story about that, but I'll tell you later. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I was down there uh, twice filming uh, and like a, a two-year gap in between. And the first, year, first time I went down there, there was like one black guy in the, the village, which everybody pointed at. Next time I went down, there was a whole lot of Polish people. Pointing at the black man that was still there. 
<laughs> well, no, but they were sort of, I think, rudely uh, introduced to the rest of the world very quickly. Yeah. A whole lot of immigrants moved into that area. So, um, yeah, it's it's not as sort of secluded as it used to be. Uh, well, so uh, back to the Wicker Man. Um, Sergeant Howie goes on this search trying to find uh, this little girl. And um, it turns out to be that it's, it's a trap set for him. And this is one of the things I love about this film is that they they do everything in their power to sort of corrupt him because you've got... Um, Britt Eklund. Britt Eklund. Lovely. Fit, fit Eklund. As the landlord's uh, daughter. And her, and her body double. Yeah, yeah controversial well. that was apparently. But yeah. Yes. And, you know, so they gave him every opportunity to, you know, uh, you know, not to if if he if he if he slept with her, then he couldn't have been a sacrifice at the end. What an idiot! <laughs> but, but at the same time, you know, but burning people alive isn't cool, kids. You know, yeah. Just in case. I mean, he stuck to he stuck to his guns, and he paid the price for that. And if he had sort of strayed from his path, he would have probably lived. Well, it's, it's this fascinating uh, sort of clash, isn't it? Because he's mm. uh, you know he's. This, really priggish unlikable character who's a, who's like a like an arch Christian. scottish <laughs> and uh, and we and we find out is that he's still a virgin and that's why he's so he's such a great sacrifice for them because the, yeah. you know that they're looking for this sort of figure to do and you know this sort of irony that in the end he he becomes a martyr you know yeah mm. that's right well um lord summerisle does say to him i can offer you the one thing that you you know, nobody else can, a martyr's death. Mm. I have to wonder if, what would have happened if Edward Woodward's character had strayed? What what was plan B? Who was, if, if Edward Woodward wasn't going to be the best um, sacrifice, then uh, what was going to be? I think it would have been a very short film. He would have, you know, filled, filled his boots and then gone home. Well, yeah, I wonder what plan B would have been. Um, who would have been sacrificed in his place? Or would they have still sacrificed him? We'll never know, will we? I know. It's, it's a question we'll never know. But it's, 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 I was always, well, especially when I was watching it this time, I was like, well, you know, if he hadn't, you know, if he hadn't done, gone through all those steps, if he hadn't accepted being uh, Punch, you know, stealing the costume, if it had been the, the, the pub landlord, you know, whether they sacrificed him. Yeah. No, Did I you... must admit, that, that to me is what the flaw with that film is, is the fact that it's a very, very grand master plan, but it also does rely on a massive amount of coincidence, doesn't it? You know what I mean? It's uh, kind and the of fact like... that the bloke didn't fancy Brit England start naked. Well, yeah. You know, <laughs> but but you, you've, you've got to think, though, that it's all about faith, isn't it? It's uh, mm. so... The people behind this plan, they believe that that that, that their their pagan gods are going to bring them the perfect sacrifice, and mm. that, you know that it, that it's going to come to them, and it does. So they're not thinking, "Oh, we've got a plan B in case it doesn't work," because because they're fanatics. You know, they absolutely yeah. believe in 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 you know that that killing him will make their apples grow again. You know. Yeah. Did you know yeah. Chris Lee actually is in that woeful sequel, but he's only in there as a picture on the wall or something, isn't he? No, no, no. He, he's he's not. He's in he's in one scene. 
Yeah, they, there's like a flashback scene. Oh, that was it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh god, was that a piece of shit or what? I think I thought, it, I, that... I thought it was quite funny, but um... yeah, but it was just awful. Well, yeah. the video I've not, I've not seen her it. doing doing like su- suggestive movements in the in a music video was good. That's about the best bit for me. I, I must admit, I've not seen the. You're talking about the wicked, wicked tree. tree. Taken, the yeah. Wicked tree. Yeah. yeah, I've not seen that. Um, the thing about a picture on the wall is probably in the um, the the wicker man remake in 2006 the Neil LeBute film with Nicolas Cage. Uh, I've not seen that. Okay, well it does have a picture of Edward Woodward's character on the wall listed Uh, as missing. So uh, uh, as a little nod, yes. yes. Mm. That just makes it even more crap. Why would a a police officer in Scotland appear in a missing list on bloody in america well, i don't think it's supposed to have been that sort of literal but yeah it was just a little in joke i think right let's okay i was gonna stop this now we will let's not talk about the other wicker man the remake the nicholas cage one it's it's awful yeah and you know right absolutely did not get they they just didn't get what that film was about. The thing about the Wicker Man, I thought, was that once I knew the ending, the twist, the super mm-hmm. twist ending, it, it I yeah. couldn't really watch it many more times after that. Really? Yeah. I actually, I still, I, you know, I've I've seen it quite a few times now, and I still like that. I like that sort of build up to it because it is such a surprise. Because the, you know, most of the film, it's quite gentle, really, isn't yeah. it? Apart from the nudity. It's a mystery, bizarre missing person mystery. And I suppose you, when you watch it again, you can see all the all the subtle setting up that is going on all around him, the way they're just playing yes. with him and making him the fool, which he was dressed up as at the end, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. And, and you're right, it, it, it was quite subtle because they didn't come across as particularly malevolent. It was just more... Um, they just came across as all a bit weird, really, <laughs> you, you, know, yeah. you know, in the lead up. So Chris Lee actually get... said he liked he really liked the role of Lord Summerall. He did, that was another one of his favourite roles that he did play. Well, he gets, he yeah. gets to sing, doesn't he? Which For one thing. Oh, he does. Mm. Yeah. But uh, I think it's interesting. It gets filed, this film, under horror. But yet... It's only really the climax which pushes it into horror. Well, yeah, but that's but that's the thing though that the the horror the the ending is so powerful. Yeah, and the fact when the you know when Edward Woodward's in there and it's burning and you've got all the noises of those animals as yeah, well. Yeah, that's just makes quite it even freaky, more sort it? of that's well done. very freaky, and that is what stays with you afterwards. And and the people singing outside are all joyful and happy. It's this sort yeah. of sick, sick mixture. That's yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty nasty. It is a pretty nasty yeah. film in terms of, yeah. uh, you, you know, the ending is is it's got to be one of the darkest endings in cinema history, I would guess. <laughs> I mean, the fact that he's in there and he's praying, and he actually at the end he stands up, doesn't he, and burns. Mm. He's not cowering in the corner. He stands up and faces yeah. it. Well, you know, he's, he's he sort of he ends up singing a hymn. To, it's almost like a sort of yep. way to, to sort of like drown out there. They're chanting, you know. Mm. Yeah, embrace because the he, he he because he prays to God that he doesn't want to go to their uh, pagan god, does he? Do any of you know where the where the who directed this? Robin Hardy. Yeah, Hardy. That's it. Where did he get his inspiration for this? Was it from a novel or? Well, Anthony Anthony Schaefer uh, wrote the uh, uh, wrote the script, didn't he? With 
with Hardy. So I think it's sort of it's based it's based on various folk folk tales. I think. Yeah, uh, I mean, according to this, it was based on a novel by David Pinner called Richard. Oh, that's right. No, yeah, you, yeah. But, uh, the, the, I, the, the sort of story was, but I think I think that it's it's quite a lot different from what I understand. Right. Mm. And interestingly, this is the only sort of this and the sequel are the only things that Robin Hardy has actually done. done. Is that correct? That's correct. But uh, he did uh, threaten us with a third film. Didn't Wasn't he? it called The Wicker Basket? <laughs> I wish it was called the Whisker Wicker Basket. Oh, uh, is, uh, is that the Wicker Man Basket case crossover we've all been waiting for? Yeah. <laughs> so what happens is they just chop him up and stick him in a wicker basket or the wicker hamper go on a picnic. <laughs> Robin Hardy, if you're listening, that's a pretty good title, mate, and I want my percentage. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I just I just remember the end of uh, the Wicker Tree when he came up, didn't they, with a, an actress who was going to appear in the the next film. It had some I can't remember. It had a title that was very similar to another film. I think it's the Wrath of the Gods is his intent. That was it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Third yeah. part of the trilogy. Yeah. Mm. But, well, yeah, yeah, but I mean, they say, they say it's scheduled for twenty fifteen. But well, I wouldn't put any money <laughs> if it was on Kickstarter. That's for sure. No. Uh, the the Wicker Tree was very woeful. Wasn't yeah, we was it? Saw it? Fight Fest, know. didn't we? The director was there. Yeah. They had <laughs> yeah. the Wicker Man on as well. I can't uh, remember. Well, that was the free film they showed at the Sleep. That's oh, right, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Not impressed by that at all, mate. Not impressed, no. especially having Americans in it as well. I've got nothing against Americans. I love them, but it just didn't fit with the tone of the first one at all. No. So contrived beyond belief that one. Yeah, and and the ending was just taken from another film. Oh, it's bullshit! The whole film was shit. Actually, the ending was very, um, very much like Dolls. Yeah, another shit film that we talked about. Yes. <laughs> oh, but that hasn't aired yet. <laughs> Wait till you see that. <laughs> yes. So yeah, Chris, Chris is. <laughs> I think Chris Lee is uh, is great in that, and he's very natural and. Like all good actors, you know, De Niro and people like that, as long as they're not caked in makeup and stuff, they're some mm. of the best actors, the ones you think are just being themselves. You, you know, you think, oh, well, they just play themselves all the time. But, you know, that's, that's, that's the true sort of a good actor is that, you know, you don't notice all the nuances of what they're doing, but it um, comes across solid. Nevertheless, a great performance from him. And he had, he had wild yes. flowing hair in that one. He went a bit mad in that one. He did. Well, the, the, I was reading here on IMDb that he did the role for free. Really? Lucky bastards. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Okay. He does get all those great speeches, though, doesn't he? Uh, where yes, he's talking he does, about yeah. his whole, you know, that the, the whole ethos behind behind Summer Isle and you know where uh, where how he sort of is uh, is lambasting him for being a heathen. He's going. Oh, a pagan, maybe, but not, I hope, an unenlightened one. And he gets all, he gets all, <laughs> yes. these, he gets all these fantastic lines like that just to drop he in. He does, and he's not phased by him at all. What, um, to put this in perspective, when did this, when, when did the Wicker Man come out? Was that 71 or something? 73. See, so you look from 68, where they were worried about, you know, the devil rides out, a bit of nudity, and then you go to Wicker Man five years later, and it's tits and arse everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, though tastefully done. Yeah, of course. Yeah. 
welcome to our pervious podcast. We, we were like a bit yeah. of a tasteful TNA. That's probably the year that the Sun newspaper first brought out page three, probably as well. Possibly. We're, we're not as old as you yeah, know, I know. So I know. But yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's only five years later and the world has moved on. As soon as the 70s cracked on, it's like, whoa, here we go, open the floodgates. Well, just a, a sort of quick history lesson. Uh, the 70s was such a, a great time, especially for American cinema, because the, the doors were flung open to, um, you know, young filmmakers because of the studio system crashing. Yeah. Because they were just weren't making the money anymore and they just didn't understand um, films for young adults. So all these young filmmakers got in the in the door that normally wouldn't be open to. Them. Will you imagine the impact that if you saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre back in those days? I mean, that is a that to this day is one of my favorite, most visceral. Yes, films. It's, it's just it's, it's, it's an classic. incredible experience. Yeah, yeah. and, no, and that came out in seventy four, I believe, wasn't it? It was seventy four. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And it was such a he- influence on other films. I mean, take Alien. I mean, that was a film where people were, you know, mm. passing out, throwing up. The Exorcist. Seventy three for Exorcist. You yep. know, it, it's just it was such a huge leap yeah. in sort of, um, you know, just just the the level of violence and blood and and what you could show. From the 60s. It sort of also illustrated the decline and the development of Hammer films in later years because I do like the Vampire Circus and Twins of Evil with plenty of nudity and fit women in, um, which I keep going on about. But also lots of really good deaths. You know, I mean, Hammer did try to change with the times, but eventually the gothic themes were just not in vogue. They, they, they'd become a, they'd actually become a, a caricature of themselves and, and they couldn't reinvent themselves quick enough to move with the times, you know, even throwing Kung Fu with the Shaw brothers to make the legend of seven golden vampires, which had Cushing and they were, they did want Chris Lee, but they got this other guy that was a bit of a Chris Lee lookalike. Um, right. It's a shame really, because I think he would have been quite good in that, but Kung Fu and vampires. Have you ever seen legend of seven golden vampires? It's a great film. I uh, know. I haven't seen it. It is a very bizarre oddity, but it's, it is. It's a very entertaining though. It is entertaining, isn't it? Yeah. So, um, all right. Quick question to everybody. Um, now that hammers come back, do you think that they are actually putting out the right films? Cause they're, they're going for this very contemporary, feels so they did the remake of let the right one in and they did the quiet ones well the woman in black well, was phenomenal I think. woman in I black thought... it, woman in black is, is a period piece so yeah and that was awesome and that was of critical um success massive success and also it was only a certificate 12 and when i saw that i was like cool this is a bit creepy for a certificate 12 it was really pushing the uh Pushing the uh, the envelope, and actually, yeah, because a... they they their first one they did actually had Christopher Lee in, didn't it? It was the one the with resident. Hilary Swank, the resident. Yeah. yeah so, so that was well, no, but before that they did that sort of uh, was it back from the rave, rave from the grave or something? What was that? One? I never saw that. Oh yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah it was the uh, web series. Yeah, wasn't web it? series that they turn into into a kind of film. So yeah, I mean they may have the hammer name, but you know, let's face it, guys, we know it's not going to be, it's not going to be as it was. You know, it, it was. A, we've definitely got our snapshot in history with uh, with with Hammer, and they did what they did very well, and they made a lot of money. I mean, they got the Queen's Award for Industry for, you know, the return on their investments was huge. 
Um, yeah. And um, it is a shame, but, you know, like a lot of businesses or, you know, if you sold skateboards, eventually no one start, bothers buying skateboards anymore, um, mm. you know, until someone invents something else new. Um, but, you know, I'm so, you know, pleased that I was, I'm the age I am and I was brought up with those films and especially Chris Lee being in, you know, as part of those films. I mean, Taste the Blood of Dracula was the first horror hammer Dracula I saw. And I remember me and my mates watched it. We were, I don't know, we were 12 or something. My parents had gone up the road to play bridge, which was yeah, something people used to do in those days. Um, and um, the scene where Chris Lee is come up, they sort of, I think it's Roy Kinnear comes across him and he's got this dirty great cross poking through his body because this was the end of Dracula uh, has risen from the grave. That was the end of it when he falls off a cliff or whatever and gets impaled on this massive crucifix. This yeah. is then picked up, which is quite cool, really. It's sort of picked up, you know, like a like a Saturday morning at the pictures. It picked up, was showing him, you know, all this blood pissing out, and then he he dies, and this guy collects his ashes, and it then goes on to the taste of the blood of Dracula. That film was scared the shit out of us when we first saw that. You see, my, my, my first memory of anything to do with Hammer um, was, I don't know whether you remember the TV series Hammer House of Horror. Yeah. And um, I, I seem to remember my parents, they let me stay up to watch one episode and I wish I hadn't because it scared the shit out of me. And it was the one, it was the one with the werewolf and they pull back the curtain in one scene and the wolf is there. And it probably looks incredibly hokey by today's standards, but... I was, I think, about six years old at the time, and I remember I absolutely crapped myself when I saw that. Well, so, Hammer has uh, been resurrected more is almost as many times as Dracula now, and right. that's good. I think it's good that the name carries on because it has a lot of heritage. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, you know. I mean, we're we're, talk, we're talking like uh, you know. Uh, I mean, two of the films we've talked about have been Hammer, but we, we should uh, sort of underline mm. that The Wicker Man isn't a Hammer film, even though in some respects it does feel like one. Oh, it, it does feel a lot like a Hammer film, but as you say, it's not made by Yeah, him. interestingly enough, and I don't know whether this is just one of those wives' tale things that they do on these, but I watched, because um, I was kind of doing a bit of a Wicker Man marathon, uh, even though I didn't watch the sequel, um, but I did watch uh, some of the special features on the DVD. And what they said that apparently, you know, because obviously it wasn't a Hammer film, even though it was in that sort of time. But apparently what they wanted originally was um, uh, they, they wanted Peter Cushing to play the, 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 the role that Edward Woodward ended up playing, the Howie role. Yeah. Um, oh, right. which I don't know whether I believe that or whether that's one of those things that you know people have sort of romanticised about. In I in think he was too old. But, but I was, I was the fact I've seen uh, a lot of trivia where th those two names get sort of so. So I've seen a bit of trivia for Star Wars that said that um, they originally got went to Christopher Lee to play the Grand Moff uh, Tarkin role that Peter Cushing played. So I think it's just, I don't know, I think it's just this sort of wish fulfillment that people go, oh, well, Peter Cushing got this role over Christopher Lee and vice versa. Yeah, yeah. When it was, probably wasn't the case. I think they're two dynamically different and, yes. and impressive actors in their own right. And I think that if anyone tries to cast Peter Cushing in a role that Chris Lee would be in, they'd be a fucking idiot, really. 
Um, I, I think that's all rubbish. It, I, I, they are they are distinctly different characters, and they all both have very you know strong personalities and presence. Uh, but you know, I think that um, I think you know. I, I can't see that someone would say, oh, well, let's get Peter Cushing because Chris Lee can't do it. That doesn't make sense at all to me. Well, also, they yeah. were fantastic friends, you know, in real yeah. life. You know, they were in so many films together. I mean, just, you know, I mean, if there's a positive thing that comes out of of Christopher Lee's death, then maybe it's that, that more people will go back and discover his films. I mean, absolutely. It, it's, well, it's, it's, it, it made me like go out and sort of look at a couple of his films I'd never watched before. I mean, yeah. I, I, I watched uh, house of the long shadows mm. with, with, with him and, and, and Peter Cushing and Vincent Price and John. Yeah, that's, Carradine, a, that's great. Yeah. Which is great fun. And, uh, and also, uh, yeah, Scream and Scream Again, which is a really bizarre film. Uh, Actually, aren't they yeah. in Doctor Terror's House of Horrors as well? They are, yeah. That's a great yeah. fun that film is great. as well. I mean, yeah, I mean, de- def- definitely for me. Um, and, and you know, this is one of the reasons I like doing these sort of podcasts is the fact that it makes me uh, rewatch stuff, but also discover new stuff. And I must admit, I'm I can see myself now kind of really getting into the hammer films actually off the back of this um because you know i've seen some of them but there's a lot out there that you know i haven't seen and um you know twins of evil mate twins of evil twins of evil is is great yeah no i mean i mean i mean you know watching these christopher lee films uh for this podcast um particularly the two hammer ones in fact uh you know you know really made me think oh you know i want to i want to invest in these blu-rays and and watch i want more of this so uh yeah, so yeah absolutely um, well my girlfriend is a big um hammer horror fan and so i'm looking forward to her introducing me to some more films from this because um she certainly knows her stuff about it yeah well there's cool. a box set you can get for 88 quid that's got about 12 or 13 films on hammer films. is that the cube oh, cool. one is that the yeah. one that's in a cube no well no, no it's more like is a book it's a, it's are, a they, are, they, one. are they blu-rays then yeah, they're Blu-rays. They come. From oh, right. New, okay. It comes from New Zealand for one pound twenty-three postage on Amazon now, and um, for eighty-nine quid you get like the Quatermassic. They're all like reduxed versions. They've got a DVD as well, which has got I think the complete. Uh, you know the thing that says House of Hammer, and they go through different sections of Hammer films, like a documentary. Oh, nice. Yes, yeah. That, that, that was, it was was it narrated by. Um... Uh, Chris, uh, uh, Pete Cushing. It was no, no. It was the werewolf. Oh, Oliver Reed. Oliver yeah. Reed. Yeah. Um. Yeah. They've got all those, and you get Plague of the Zombies. I think the Reptile. Uh, Chris Lee is Rasputin. Dracula, Prince of Darkness. Um, Devil rides out. Um, I think something obscure like the witches, and uh, and uh, he's got a couple of others in there that aren't even listed on the on the listing of films because one disc has three films on it, like black and white ones. Oh, nice! So is it, is it things like like she and prehistoric it, women and those sort of films as well? No, calm down. No, I hope um, so. I hope so. <laughs> no, it hasn't. I've uh, so it's, it's 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 the it's, well, it's the specifically the horror and the sci-fi horror. Do you know what? I've completely forgot about that, but she's got Peter Cushing and Chris Lee again. Yeah. That's a cracking film, Ursula Andress, and Chris Lee is the uh, malevolent sidekick of Who Wants Eternal Life. I mean, he's great in that. It is really good, yeah. I remember seeing that film ages ago. Maybe slightly 
dated in some respects, though. But uh, but yeah, I, I remember really enjoying it back in the day. Yeah, I'm gonna go trawling through my DVDs, but I've definitely I'm really toying the idea of getting that Blu-ray set because for 88 quid you you get like 12, 13 films on it. Yeah, and, I'm kind uh, of tempted oh, by this as well. Yeah. <laughs> I better mm. order it before you do this. <laughs> oh, and if Amazon's listening, uh, we 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 will take your sponsorship if you want. <laughs> yeah, Seeing as we're advertising you so much in this podcast. <laughs> well, I don't know whether Amazon are doing it, but it's coming from New Zealand or something. It don't take long to arrive, and and I'm probably going to order it mm. when we finish this podcast. Because thinking about it, you got a ton of great films, and they're all superbly. They're all like the remaster. You know, like the individual remastered versions you get. Uh, they're mm-hmm. all. They're all those discs that are in the, the same, and they're region B as well. I was going to say that's oh, nice. what I was going to ask. Make sure they're region three. Um, it's region B, so. which is UK. Which is so. us. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's fine. Mm. Okay. And the Warner Brothers one that coming out in the states that hopefully will be region free. None of those films are on there. I think you got the the Evil of Frankenstein on this this box set as well, which is a one of the earlier uh, Frankenstein films. Um, yeah, I think it's the third one, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, he's got Frankenstein Created Woman, which is a great psychological that, that is um, great. Frankenstein film, which actually starts off with his his uh, head being chopped off, which is great. Cool. Uh, that sounds all great. Mm. Um, right. Well, let's um, let's move on to our final film. So, Keith. Yeah. Well, um, you know, obviously, I know you guys. Well, particularly Mike is is sort of uh, the, the the guy really into Hammer films and whatever. Um, it's no secret that the, the the films I'm really into are the James Bond movies. Um, been a fan of those ever since I was a kid. You know, loved them all for various different reasons and whatever. Um, so what I've picked, mainly because of Christopher Lee, uh, The Man with the Golden Gun from 1974, all right? Which I have to say... Um, in many respects, is actually quite a pants Bond movie. Okay, um, <laughs> it's my least favourite of the Bond films. Yeah. I watched it, it last night. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, for me, um, it was in, until Die Another Day came out. It was actually my least favourite Bond film uh, of the series. And I remember when I first collected the Bond films back on VHS when I was a lad. Um, you I, didn't I buy to- it. <laughs> well, I used to go and buy one a week or one a, one a month or whatever. And yeah. this was the last one that I bought just to finish up <laughs> the collection. So, yeah. But having said that um, and having revisited it, um, it is, it's an important film in terms of the Bond series for a number of reasons. There's a lot of firsts and lasts that, are com- that, that happen in this film. And definitely, I mean, obviously the, the purpose of choosing it for today's podcast is because definitely the best thing in the film is Christopher Lee uh, yes. with his his portrayal of uh, Francisco Scaramanga. Sorry, wrong Bond to do that accent. But, there you <laughs> yeah, go. Yeah. Um, but, but saying that, that was one of the problems with the film is because Roger Moore was still sort of imitating Sean Connery. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was the last film to be directed by Guy Hamilton, who had previously done Live and Let Die, uh, Diamonds Are Forever and Goldfinger. And um, in an attempt to try and, you know, Roger Moore had only done the, the one Bond film at this, at this point. So in a way to try and toughen up um, Bond, 
they they do have this scene where they they try to make him a bit darker, and he he like twists Maud Adams' arm Sla- and, and slaps her, around her and stuff, which yeah. which yeah. which Roger Moore himself has since said in in interviews um, after this film that that he didn't like and was very uncomfortable with. Um, but you, you know the casting of Christopher Lee um, was fantastic. I mean, first of all. Christopher Lee has a link to Ian Fleming in the fact that he's actually Ian Fleming's cousin and mm. was his golf partner. And again, it's probably one of these old wives' tales, but there, there, there were rumours that he was initially considered to play Bond at one point, which I don't think is true at no, all. No, However, the, ru- the rumour is he, he was he, considered he, to be Dr. Dr. No. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I, before, I, before I could say that... Of, sorry, gone. I was, was going to say I have... Uh, Having looked at his autobiography, he says that that he was told by Ian Fleming that oh, by the way, they're making a film version of my novel Doctor No. I think you'd be very good as Doctor No. So I'm going to put your name forward for it. Do you do you want to do it? And he said, Yeah. But then he yeah. never heard anything else. No, so. absolutely, he, he did want to do it, but obviously by then they'd already cast Joseph Wiseman uh, in the role. Um, so, uh, basically, you, you know, when it came to this film, um, you, you, you know, they, they went with him, um, they had to kind of tan him up a bit and whatever for the role and obviously give him an extra nipple, um, because uh, <laughs> this was actually the last, it, it's based on the last of Fleming's Bond novels, which he wrote in 1965, uh, called The Man with the Golden Gun. And in that, the gun was simply a gold-plated revolver, okay? The film really takes very few elements from the novel. Um, uh, but what, one of the things it does do is it actually makes... In fact, interestingly enough, um, Christopher Lee's character in this, he's kind of the anti-Bond. He's sort of the dark side of Bond. Um, mm. And he is the one who actually has the gadget and stuff in this film. Uh, Bond yeah. himself doesn't really have much. So he's he's got the golden gun, which which basically consists of a a gold Dunhill lighter, a gold fountain pen, um, a, a cigarette case, and a cufflink, which uh, put together makes this one shot gun that he charges uses a golden bullet and charges a a million shots, as they say in the song. Um, but, but you, you, you know, it is, I mean, it is a ludicrous film in many respects. Uh, you know, it's got some major plot holes in it. Uh, it's very silly. It's incredibly sexist, racist, and dwarfish. (laughs) (laughs) Those are the bits Um, I like. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, um, in terms of first and last, as I said, it was the last film uh, of the series to be directed by Guy Hamilton. It was also the last film to be uh, in the one eight five aspect ratio. Um, basically, the the first four films had been, or sorry, the first three films had been one eight five. Then with Thunderball, they went over to CinemaScope. But for uh, Live and Let Die in this film, uh, they went back for some reason to to, to that aspect ratio. But then ever since then. It's all been two, three, five to one uh, from Spy Love Me onwards. Um, it's also the last film up to Daniel Craig's movies to show Bond in the gun barrel logo wearing a suit and not a tuxedo. Um, <laughs> and it's also the last Bond film not to actually have Bond in the pre-credit sequence. Um, 
He, he, well, he's in there technically. Well, there's a wax dummy of him. Yes. Yeah. But, so um, he is there technically. It's, it's not an adventure. Yeah. It's not an adventure. It's not. Uh, which I have to say is um, what I love the setup. I think I think the setup works really well. But then, as an audience member, because now they've set up this confrontation between him and Bond. You don't get that until the end of the film, and you have to wait through all this, all nonsense. this stuff they go yeah, through. All this it is absolute through. nonsense. This film would have been great if it had just been a duel between these two guys. No, I agree. And it just, it just took so long for the two of them to, to actually finally meet. Mm. Yeah, I mean the set, the setup is very good in the pre-credits, a sort of Allah uh, from Russia with love type setup. That you, you know, you've got this. Yeah. Um, this 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 maze that, uh, that 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 they're going through, which is kind of uh, visually, it's sort of inspired by the the lady from Shanghai, you know, the Orson Welles type film, where it's got all these mirrors and things that they're passing through. And, and that reminded know, me of Enter the Dragon, actually, as well. When I was well, watching it. it, interestingly enough, I mean, that's the other thing they incorporate into this film is. This was very much uh, popular when the whole martial arts craze came out. So they mm. did put a lot of, um, you know, martial arts elements into this film as well, yeah. uh, having James yes. Bond in various um, fights and whatever. Um, it's it's in terms of firsts. This is actually the first time we see Roger Moore in the uh, now classic Bond tuxedo. He didn't actually wear the tuxedo at all in. Uh, Live and Let Die, which was the only Bond film apart from um, You Only Live Twice, not to feature Bond wearing a tuxedo. Um, but I, I think it does have a lot of, you know, memorable iconography in this film uh, in terms of locations. You've got the the, the now famous island in uh, Thailand, um, which which is doubling as, as uh, um, Scaramanga's uh you, you know, base and whatever. Um, you've also, it is the last time, thankfully, uh, they tried something in this film about reprising a character from the previous film. And you've got Clifton James playing Sheriff Pepper, who was the yeah. guy from Louisiana after him in, in, in uh, uh, Live and Let Die, which bizarrely appears on <laughs> holiday in 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 well china or wherever it's supposed to actually be set in the film world um and isn't it's it just, well, it's hong, hong kong, kong isn't it it's hong kong isn't it hong yeah kong. okay and and, and, and having him and macau absolutely yeah sorry and having him just there being you know totally racist yeah and, <laughs> and there yeah. for laughs and 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 not really not really working obviously he played a similar character later in superman 2 <laughs> where yeah. he played the, oh, the, the yeah. sheriff of the small town and whatever. But I thought uh, another first, uh, Keith, wasn't another first that cast stunt they did as well? Well, this that's what I was uh, just about getting to in terms of, you, you know, it's a pants movie in many ways, apart from Christopher Lee. Obviously, you've got the lovely Britt Eklund in, in her bikini, which I think we've already talked enough about Britt and this uh, particular podcast. Um but you have got the, 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 the yeah, the, the now famous car stunt, which, you know, no CGI or done for real, uh, no model work or anything. It was, uh, they actually performed this loop, the loop stunt. Um, unfortunately, uh, you know, John Barry, who returned to the um, franchise and is, is, in my mind, always the king of Bond music, 
sadly, he, even he admits this is one of his weaker scores. And he did make the mistake of putting the penny whistle sound effect over the stunt, which was completely God, yeah. unnecessary. Oh, that was appalling. It was fucking awful. Ruined one of the coolest looking... Um, <sighs> aspects of the film completely but i uh, think that's where bond fucked up anyway was they made him too tongue-in-cheek too many fucking it's like carry on bond oh totally i mean i mean that the character that Britt eckland plays which is mary goodnight which in the fleming novel she's actually a recurring character as um bond's secretary but mm. in this they make her a complete and utter idiot i mean apart yeah. from being yeah. eye candy she is just completely inept everything else she does in the mm. film. Um, yeah, I mean, Maud, Maud Adams was much better. Yeah, yeah well, Maud Adams, who obviously yeah. they, they used to play Octopus yeah. further in the uh, franchise. But, I mean, you know, they had the two gorgeous Swede, um, you know, actresses in this. But, it, you know, it's ridiculous. Like, you get the scene where... Um, you, you know, Mary Britt Eklund's character, Goodnight, is 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 in Bond's hotel room. You know, dressed it dressed oh, yeah. in a very sexy nighty, ready to to spend the night with him. And then, of course, Maud Adams shows up. So he ends up lo- shutting her in the wardrobe while he beds Maud <laughs> Adams. And then, oh. when she wakes up in the morning, he takes her out. He has the gall to say, "Oh, don't worry, your time will come." Thing <laughs> for me. Like, the thing for me about the film was that, for me, Chris Lee stole every scene that was he worth did. watching in that film. Yeah. And I did yeah. say to you today, Keith, didn't I, that I couldn't think of anyone else that could play Scaramanga better than Chris Lee did in that. Well, it um, was it was off to Jack Palance originally. Um, but oh, Palance, that would have been fucking awful. Yeah, yeah. He, t- he, t- he turned <laughs> down the role and... Um, it then went to Christopher Lee. And I agree that the reason I picked this, I mean, you know, we're calling it movie heaven and all I'm doing is slagging it off saying it's the worst <laughs> Bond film ever or whatever. But the reason I have picked it is for that very reason. This is about uh, Sir Christopher Lee. And, um, you know, he he was the shining light in this film. You know, the man with the golden gun was him. And uh, he is one of the things that makes the film memorable but as I said, that there is certain iconography and other sort of things that are important within the Bond series of films that still makes this important. It was also the other thing it was a last was it was the last film that was co-produced by Albert R. Broccoli and Harry Schultzman. Uh, mm. After this, the uh, Harry Schultzman sold his half of the business because of his financial debt across to Albert R. Broccoli, who then, mm. you know, uh, three or four years later, revived the franchise with um, The Spy Who Loved Me. Does um, anyone know what Chris Lee thought of his role as Scaramanga? What was his opinion on that? Because, I mean, I think he, it was a great role. It had lots of good lines in it. And the well, scene where, where he's making up the gun with... with Mr. Fat is there, he's talking to him, and you can see him, and he's just casually just putting this gun together. You know, that, I love that scene. In in the book, he says uh, that, in the autobiography, he says it's, he thinks it's the, the best written Bond villain since Goldfinger. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, he, he's, he's really, he's really posit- positive on it. You know, he, he sort of felt that he's... That he that he had a chance to be doc, uh, Doctor No, and that his chance had gone, and and that but that sort of ship had sailed. But then, mm. uh, so he was he was really sort of stoked to be on the film, really. Yeah, I know. I know he, he had a lot of fun on it. 
he is great in it and it's you know it was well worth waiting for that role it's just a shame the rest of the film doesn't live up to to that character i mean i have to say the way um scaramanga goes out was i was really annoyed because that was just that was so shit it went out yeah. a whimper not a bang didn't it it did, and then yeah. You got no, that I agree. Crap on the on the junk at the end with the dwarf throwing bottles, and it's like, oh for God's sake! The whole film, even the explosions and all that shit at the end, was almost like, oh, we got to liven it up. Let's just blow some shit up. It yeah. just, it did feel like they he had to have a secret base so that would blow up. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I mean, it it, was, it, it was, just it didn't need that. No, it was it was filled with the sort of cliches. Um, uh, and, and, you know, there were so many things throughout this film, too many to go into that just didn't make sense. But the one that really made me laugh at the very end when they're on Scaramanga's junk and he's uh, he's bedding um, uh, Mary Goodnight. <laughs> yeah, which uh, yeah. it just made me laugh that M happened to have the private number to Scaramanga, who's the man that nobody can find and nobody looks like. No one knows what it looks like. (laughs) And he answers it. And of course, you've got the awful entendres with him saying, uh, yes, she's just coming, M. And then he's there going, good night, good night. And he goes, good night and hangs up. And it's just like, ah, that was that was like appalling. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, poor M. I mean, every time he calls up Bond, you know, at the end of the film, Bond is with a girl and about to have sex. I mean, the guy must be going, oh, for fuck's sake. Not again, Bond. Yeah, well, I mean, the they thing just, is, they did it better in other films though, than they did in this one. I mean, th- yeah. this one was yeah. particularly uh, bad, I think. And then you talk about double entendres, Keith. Have you heard yeah. the lyrics to Lulu's theme tune? Well, yeah, I mean, you, you know, the, 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 the fucking hell, he comes just before and, the kill, and yeah, and the pre-credit sequence as well is largely uh, Asian women wrapping their hand round the barrel of a golden gun, you know, <laughs> and it's like, you know, Morris Binder really, uh, re- really yeah. uh, went yeah. to town on that one. But... Also, there was actual proper frontal nudity for a brief second. Oh, chew me. Trust you would to <laughs> spot that, Simon. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, don't remember, I don't remember Roger Moore getting his chap out. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to see a real golden gun? <laughs> hey, his name was Roger Moore. Hey, you know. <laughs> One shot, a million dollars. But interestingly, um, Mike, I know you're a you're an Alice Cooper fan, or you mentioned Alice Cooper. But oh, apparently yeah, Alice Cooper did a song for this, as you know, that really? usually a number of artists do a song and then they pick one um yeah. and apparently it is on one of alice cooper's albums and it is called the man with the golden gun um oh i've never heard so, that no i need to look into that and see if it's on youtube or something yeah i, I bet it's better than this song I, I have like a cd of all the james bond songs and this is the one i always skip yeah this is I, lulu oh, it's oh. an awful yeah, song it's it's kind of it, it is a bit of a shit song well um, the song shit but i quite like the tune I quite I get off on the tune. I quite like that. It's quite yeah, well, that's, that's yeah. John Barry. I mean, you know, the, the thing is, the thing is, the score, even though it's not John Barry's greatest Bond score by any means, it is it's it is a decent score. Yeah, it yeah. is it's a decent score. Isn't it? Yeah. And um, and you, you know, as I said, a lot of firsts and lasts, a lot of memorable things. Obviously, you know, he goes to Macau in this, which he which he ended up doing in Skyfall. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just, and again, the plot itself, you know, is about the, 
you know, it was, it was during the 1973 energy crisis thing. So it was about, you know, this guy harnessing the power of the sun to, uh, to obviously yeah. make, make money and, um, and, and rule the world, as it were. Yeah, it's, it was a shame that bit wasn't very realistic. If it had been, it would have been like the, the umbrella would have come out and then the sun would have come out and it'd be like, uh, well, we'll give it a couple of hours. Maybe we could uh, power this, this island. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they, had, they had the sort of MacGuffin of the Solex agitator, yes. as they yeah. called it, yeah. in the <laughs> film, which was a plot device. But, but, but you know... Um, Loads of one-liners, plenty of action, but nothing, nothing uh, that sort of stood out in my opinion. I mean, there was a boat chase, but we'd already had a much better boat chase in the film before. Um, I'm, I'm surprised you, they didn't call it the so the Solex vibrator. You no, know, with all the fnar <laughs> fnar things going on in it. Indeed, indeed. But but no, I mean, oh, okay. To wrap to wrap up, the mm. man with the golden gun um, is is Christopher Lee absolutely fantastic in the role apparently had a really good time filming it um according to uh things i've i've read and heard um roger moore who is a wind-up merchant anyway wound him up loads with dracula jokes and whatever and apparently when they went into the cave to film one of the scenes loads of bats flew out and christopher lee just said not now my friends <laughs> which, which is cool but um yeah, yeah uh, in terms of bond villains uh he's definitely up there it's just a yeah. shame he wasn't in a better bond film sadly you know i i would personally like to see a remake of this and just cut out all the stuff with the solar energy and just have it bond versus scaramanga just mm. make it a down and dirty film like casino royale yeah well you never know it might yeah. be it might be on the uh with what they're doing now with the with the Craig films, it might be uh, might be on the cards in the future. Who knows? Quick question, Damien Lewis, good idea for a Bond or not? And Ginger uh, Bond? Hmm. <laughs> no. Oh, I think he could do it. Mm. Um, I don't no, know. Uh, he was good in Band of Brothers, but um, I, I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, I think they need to. You've got to bear in mind this if they want this bond for three or four films, yeah, that, that you're talking about what six to ten years worth, so it's going to age ten years in that time, yeah, and be still got to be fit as fuck at the end to actually carry it off. Otherwise, he looks like a pensioner that they always seem to do at the end of their bond life. Uh, I don't think he's, I think he's too old. I think they need to maybe think of someone a bit more, a bit more, a bit more of a hard man. Yeah, got, yeah. I think they need to retain the hard man. You know, you don't go Brosnan again. You know, you need you need to have someone who 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 can. You know, this is the real world. You know, and then if they're going to go campy again, they can shove it up their ass. They need to. Yeah. They need well, to I, make sure it's 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 like the Bourne films. You know what I mean? That's effectively what you've got, isn't it? So you think Idris Elba is a good choice? Uh, um, he's too old. Yeah, it, it, it's this could be. I mean, this this could be quite a debate. I mean, it's I, not because he's like, black or whatever. It's just I, he's too old. I mean. Yeah, I, I think it's like Mike said about the the Hammer films. Is what the what the Bond franchise has always tried to do is sort of change and move with the times. Um, yeah, I'm. I personally prefer the sort of darker, tougher, more serious Bond that we've got at the moment with Daniel Craig, and I hope that they. For me, I hope that they sort of continue to do um, 
more films with him, to be honest. But we'll 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 see. I mean, I'm I'm of course excited about Spectre uh, yeah. later this year, and we'll see how that turns out. But um, we don't you want know, a lot of nudge, 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 wink, winks. This is what happened in previous Bonds, like they did in Skyfall, though. It's too much in there, I think. No, I agree. Yeah, yeah. They, that the third act it was kind of it. It was sort of very weak, and I do I do appreciate the joke about it did become Home Alone at the end. Oh, yeah. totally. Yeah, it came, it came um, M. Giver. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or the uh, the A team or something. Yeah, it was kind of ridiculous, but yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean... This know. is a tough world we live in, and that's what I think they need to retain. They need to have it, like, you know, someone that's recruited for, you know, was in Afghanistan or something, and then he's recruited or whatever. You know, they need to have someone that can handle himself, you know? Yeah. But have yeah, that intelligence to be able to blend in and, but you know, and charm people still. And it's a big ask to find an actor that can pull that off. Yeah, you know. No, absolutely. To be honest with you, I think Tom Tom Hardy, the way that he can morph his face into anything, he could pull it off. Yeah, yeah, yeah certainly. Yeah, imagine him we'll as Bond. Yeah, yeah. We'll wait and see. That's yeah, so- uh, that's a big discussion. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's uh, let's wrap this up. Um, yeah. Does anybody have any sort of last words to say about Christopher Lee? I'd just like to say that, um, you know, it's been a big, big, you know, you can tell by the Facebook post that came out as soon as everyone heard and the news was released, Facebook was plastered with tributes uh, and everyone has liked posts that you put about Christopher Lee. He's, and, and what I think is great is that he actually has been a part of people younger than me's life through the Lord of the Rings films and things like that, you know. And and then, like you say, maybe those guys will go back and think about this old man that they've seen this film and look back at his earlier work, and it will keep keep the the archival sort of hammer stuff alive and living for many years to come. You know, so I think yeah. that's it's great. He's left a great legacy. Yeah, well, it's it certainly made me want to go back and and revisit and also watch. Um, films of his that I haven't seen before and uh, uh, y- y- you know so yeah I think also if you're if you are an actor then the the example of Christopher Lee of someone who you know comes out of comes out of the war and is effectively jobbing actor for quite a long time he has all these sort of small supporting roles and sort of, you know, he's constantly told that he's not the right type. You know, he doesn't have the right look to be a leading man. But then he eventually finds this niche, he breaks through, you know, and he's had an, an incredibly long and varied career. I mean, we've, in our choices, uh, you know, through no sort of design, ended up sort of looking at his, I guess, his prime, really. But, you know, you can really, you can pick sort of, films you know they did earlier which are interested interesting and, and equally films that he made right up and uh, right up until his passing you know uh, he, he had a sort of in really interesting um partnership with tim burton for instance you know things like yeah. working on things like sleepy hollow and the like and even though mm. i mean those weren't necessarily big parts but i thought you know <coughs> even when he's he, you know when he's playing things like uh, like Willy Wonka's dad, I thought he was really uh, he was really good in that part. So, you know, he's, he always sort of brings something something interest. Uh, he, he brings 
a really different quality to the role. And uh, yeah, and even when it, it seems like he doesn't necessarily, he's not an, an obvious sort of choice or fit for the role, like maybe in 1941, uh, it's sort of, you know, it, there's something about the sort of him coming in with a very serious energy where there's all this madcap stuff going on around him, which also he brought to uh, Gremlins. I think it, it, there's some really nice contrast there. So mm. just go, just go and really delve into his back catalogue because you're going to find loads of gems there. Mm. Yeah, I just want to say that the man was a legend and he's really going to be missed. So um, I think yeah. that just leaves us to uh, thank you all for listening to this and uh, um, we'll sort of uh, skip our usual sort of uh, exit with where you can find us. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so I hope you enjoy this and um, please go back and uh, check Christopher Lee's back catalogue. There's a lot of films there. There's a lot of stuff to enjoy. And uh, if the film's not good, Christopher Lee always is. That's fine. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks.